Uh, welcome to episode five of Intersections on the Spectrum. The Intersections on the Spectrum podcast is the brainchild of Doug Fletcher and Kelly Braun Johnson, created to discuss intersectional issues within the autistic community and to give visibility to commonly marginalized, repressed, underrepresented, or erased identities and issues. We aim to introduce you to the people and stories you didn't know about but needed to hear and hope that by seeing yourself represented in the community allows you to feel seen. Today's guest is Kayla Rodriguez. She is Puerto Rican and she was diagnosed with Asperger's when she was a child but prefers to identify as autistic. Kayla is originally from New York but currently resides in Georgia. Kayla, thanks uh, so much for making time for us today. Thank you for having me. Hello. Now, now we, we learned about you through a great article you wrote for this past year's Latinx Heritage Month. You wrote about being Puerto Rican and autistic and said that this isn't something you, you hear about every day. Why do you think that's the case? Well, there's a couple of reasons for that. Um, the first is like, you know, I said that because there's mainly, um, when I'm in autistic advocacy spaces, I usually see like white people. And I don't really see a lot of people of color, including Latinx. Um, I think the first time or the only time I saw Latinx people like in this in an autism advocacy space was at a conference I went to a couple years ago and they were specifically Latinx people you know but it's mainly parents you know of Latinx autistics so it, was, it felt nice you know they don't act most of the time with autism advocacy it is made predominantly a white dominated space and I think it's that way because um, not a lot of people of color are diagnosed as autistic, are either they're diagnosed late or they're not diagnosed at all because of lack of financial resources and a lack of understanding towards autism and other genders and, and races. And um, I think it's definitely one of them is like, it's not that we don't exist. Um, I think these autism advocacy spaces should really do a better job of getting more people of color because, you know, it's not just in white people, you know? It's not specifically just in white boys. It's Autism is, can be a part of anybody. And so we really need to, like, include autistic people, black, indigenous people of color, including Latinx people in these spaces. And, and we need to get them diagnosed better. And this is also a problem for, like, other genders, too. Like, I know autistic women have a uh, harder time getting diagnosed because most of the research for autism is towards boys. No, that makes sense. I mean, you highlighted a lot of the issues that have to do with class and race and uh, you know, that, that prevents people from getting adequate health care in general. Yeah, um, I think it needs to be more accessible, definitely, getting diagnosed. And then these autism advocacy spaces need to include more people of color. Because sometimes I'm like, I'm the only person of color, or most of, I mean, I know especially almost all the time I'm the only Latinx person, but in these spaces. But most of the time, sometimes I've been the only person of color in these spaces as well. So they definitely need to do a better job with 
including more black, indigenous, people of color that are autistic. So even though you've only been to Puerto Rico a few times, you call it your home. So when did Puerto Rico start to feel like home for you? Um, I think it was during Hurricane Maria um, back in, it was 2017, right? That's when it happened, I think so. Um, because I have family in Puerto Rico. And so when Hurricane Maria happened, I was like so concerned about how they were doing. And my great-grandmother actually died after the hurricane. Um, we, uh, she didn't, I don't know if she directly died because of the hurricane, but it could have been part of it because of lack of electricity that they faced. But um, I started to feel like home to me during that time because it was the first, like, I've only been there a couple of times, right? So it's not like it's a familiar location for me, but I sensed, like, when, what my people were going through during that. Like, I, I mean, obviously I'll never know the full magnitude because I wasn't there. I don't live there. But I felt like, you know, how the administration at the time was ignoring Puerto Rico and how we were being treated. I felt it like, like they were feeling it, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, especially I have, you know, familia there, family, and I, so obviously, there, I still have a connection to Puerto Rico because my family's there. Some of my family are there. And, yeah, I was just like, I felt hurt, you know. I felt hurt that I was, you know, my people were being treated like second-class citizens. And they weren't getting the help that they needed. They weren't. Like we ha- I remember this time where I donated, like, I, right after the hurricane, I went somewhere to go help donate supplies to Puerto Rico, and I felt so good doing it, you know, helping my people out, and so it was, I think, it wasn't until Hurricane Maria that I started feeling like it was my home, I feel like it's not my only home, though, but it's, like, one of two homes is, like, this and, like, the United States, like, the rest of the United States, like, just the United States in general, I guess, but definitely, it was, I think... Hurricane Maria was when I definitely felt like it was it was like a home. Oh yeah, for sure. I mean, um, I'm I'm born in Canada, but my father's um, from Barbados, and when I go back to Barbados, I haven't been that many times, but it does feel like a second home. Like I do feel welcome, and I feel comfortable, and I feel like it's a familiar place for me. Yeah, I understand. I feel that I feel that too with Puerto Rico. Like even though I do not speak Spanish, I'm learning it. I feel like. You know, I'm with my family, and I'm with, like, people that look like me. Um, Because if you don't know, like, you know, I am light-skinned, but I don't, I'm not Caucasian. You know, I'm describing for the people on the podcast here. Like, you know, I have have hair on my arms. I have black hair. I have, um, you know, I look Latinx. And so, and I I have, like, dark eyes, and... So, yeah, it's just, like, I, I'm at least I'm around people that, like, look like me and, like, you know. And, I, again, my family's there, so it helps. And, and just this morning, I saw that um, President Biden has freed up, um, I believe, over a billion dollars in delayed Puerto Rico storm aid. So, you know, finally. some, yeah, some, I guess, hopeful news, finally. Yeah, I think. And that's good. I'm glad that he did that because, you know, the last administration 
really did anything. If you remember the president there, you know, in the last administration, I won't say his name, but he threw paper towels at the crowd, and that's just was really insulting to me when I saw that. So I'm glad that Biden really is finally putting money to help Puerto Rico. I mean, I, I think it's kind of a little late. I mean, it is late, definitely. And I think some of the damage can't be undone. And I've been scared to go back to Puerto Rico because I haven't gone since before the hurricane, and I'm scared to go back because I don't want to see the island that I call home you know, the beautiful island I call home, like, some of it's in ruins, and so I'm scared to go back. Mm -hmm. But I do want to go back when this pandemic's over. In what ways do you you see your Puerto Rican and autistic identities intersect? Well, the main way I see them intersect is because Puerto Ricans have always gone through some sort of hardship, whether it's being treated like, you know, being colonialized, and then being treated like second-class citizens. Like, my mom was saying that we were, Puerto Ricans, you know, were being treated like second-class citizens even before the hurricane, but then after the hurricane, it just proved that. So we went, we've always gone through hardships, and being autistic, I went through hardships as well, basically solely on my autistic identity, because I was bullied in school, and I didn't have the supports I needed. I still don't have the supports I need. Um, and I go through, I experience ableism and I see ableism. So both Puerto, Puerto Ricans and autistic goes through hardships. And so that's, and, and because of that, autistics and Puerto Ricans have resilience. And that's how I really see them intersect. I mean, obviously I also see them intersect because they're both like diversity, you know, we're both, um, you know, autistic is mainly neurodiverse, while Puerto Rican is diverse in the sense of black, indigenous, people of color. So that's another way that they're both, like, instead, you know, considered different. But I think the main the main thing for me is that we, because of my, because I'm both autistic and Puerto Rican, I know how to deal with hardships. And it, because of that, I've developed a big resilience towards things. Let's let's keep talking about identity and, and uh, how they intersect. So how would you how would you just like describe yourself in one or two sentences when we're talking about these intersecting identities? Well, um, I describe myself really as a Puerto Rican autistic lesbian. <laughs> That's the main way I always say like in everything I write most of the time. That time I say I'm a Puerto Rican autistic lesbian. Aha! Uh-huh. But that's really the best way to describe. My identities, you know, like I'm Puerto Rican, I'm autistic, I'm gay. So um, I know it's less than one. I guess it is one sentence. So you said one or two sentences. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, even for me, I'm just getting to know you. So I mean, I think that's great. At least it gives us a, a it gives us a starting point, right, to understand yeah. you know, your perspective and where you're coming from, and, and a little bit about your experiences. Sure. Yeah. And also, I would also add that you have mental illness, but. Um, to add with that, but it doesn't define me, the mental illness, but I do struggle with that, too, mm-hmm. so. Kayla, going back a few years, uh, after high school, you made connections with autistic self-advocates and realized advocacy was was your calling. Um, what are you most proud of with your advocacy work? Well, I'm mainly proud of, like, two things. The first was being on the board of directors for 
the Autistic Women and Non-Binary Network. I think that's a huge honor for me because I was Vice President and Chief Ambassador of Autistic Self-Advocacy Atlanta until last year, which is Autistic Self-Advocacy Atlanta, or ASA for short. It's basically, I don't know if you guys heard of ASA, you know, the Autistic Self-Advocacy Network, but that's an affiliate, the Atlanta affiliate group of ASAN. But that's like a local chapter of a big organization, of a national organization. AWN is a national organization, so I'm not just like the the, the affiliate, you know, the pres, vice president or chief ambassador. Like, I'm not just part of the local chapter or affiliate group. I'm part of the national with AWN. And I think it's a big honor for me because obviously on the board, on the board I'm the youngest person there. It's just an honor for me to just be on the board and just, like, one of the highlights is, like, I'm only 24 and I was, I'm was on the board. The other thing is that I create I co-created with Susan Brasher of Emory University, like, an autistic women's group. And I'm proud of that. It's, like, a small little – it's not a small, but, like, like 10 – like, you know, each meeting is, like, 5 to 10 people, the women that come, autistic women. And I'm just proud that I created that. Like, it's a little thing going. I want to expand it in the future, I mean, after COVID. But I think I'm very proud of those two accomplishments, especially the AWN one, because I think that's huge. I only got on the board, like, a few months ago, and, you know, I'm I'm trying to do my best there. Um, I have a question about, because I, I served on a nonprofit national board here in Canada for uh, just over three years, and for me it was a huge huge learning curve, right? I had to understand board politics and everything. Um, with with your position with AWN now, how do you feel? Like, are you, do you feel that there's other people like you on the board? Are you representing, uh, are you like the only Puerto Rican there? Um, you know, that kind of thing. Like, are you, are you alone or do you feel that you're well supported and that you have other people who are like you on the board? It's kind of like, I do feel well supported, but I also feel like, Kind of alone. Yeah, I, when I first, when I got on the board, there was really only like, there was only three people on the board, three women on the board, including myself. And two of the other two were white women. So I kind of like felt awkward. And someone who was a woman of color just left the board when I when I got on. So I felt like for the last couple of meetings I've had, it's just like, I felt like, you know, it's just, you know, two white women and me. I mean, I, they, they support me. Mm-hmm. Don't get me wrong. They do. But, it's, you know, it's also like I'm the only Latinx person. I'm the only person of color um, there. But things are getting better, hope, thankfully, because I, I just found it out this week that there's going to be two new board members coming. And I know one of them, and I think both of them, one of them is Latinx. So, and the other one is a black, black woman. So I'm really excited about them. I'm supposed to them soon, like on Zoom, of course, mm-hmm. because AWN's members, even before the pandemic, we were meeting through Zoom because AWN's members are all over the country. I, 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 I don't want to like, I don't want to put you on the spot or anything. It's just that it, it's, it's kind of a, um, it's just really important to me that representation matters so much. And mm-hmm. I know how uncomfortable it can be when you are the token or you are the only one and that, that was my experience when I've been on boards. I was either the only autistic person or the only person of color. It was, it's awkward. And I just kind of want to, it's, it's not a slight against one particular organization. 
all nonprofit boards and many corporate boards have this problem. We have this right. problem where it's dominated by white men mostly. And I think it's really important that people start to realize this and start to fix this because it's, it's not a problem that's going to just fix itself by itself. It, you know, and we can't keep putting people in these token positions and not having other people like us around. They really fit my, my um, you know, my theme of empowering autistic women. And I'm actually, one of my responsibilities on the board is doing a divergent, leading the committee on divergent, which is basically like a project that Jen's been working on for a few years about trying to just like create go after go after white feminism so i'm really excited to be working on that i think i'm going to start working i'm going to start working on it this year definitely but i mainly i don't i felt yeah as much as i felt a little uncomfortable to be the only like woman of color on the board at the time and again that's changing really soon so i'm happy about that i mainly felt like a t i wasn't feeling like i was a token I just felt like uncomfortable. Um, I mainly felt like a token when I'm in my autism advocacy groups and I'm the only autistic. Like, I'm not the only autistic. I'm the only, like, Latinx person there or speaking at a panel or in a group. You know, that's when I felt like a token. Now, Kayla, moving forward with um, intersections on the spectrum, what, what stories do you think it would be important for us to highlight or what stories do you want to hear uh i think basically uh, i think what you're you know having more latinx autistic voices would be great more black indigenous people of color voices would be great more lgbt i guess i'm, I'm assuming you already do that but i guess basically what you guys are already doing you know i think this is a very important podcast because it's highlighting those voices because uh, those voices that aren't heard because most of the voices of autistic in, in, for autism representation are white men. So I'm glad you guys are doing something like this. No, no I mean, that's, that, that is our mission, though, to make sure that we try and reach as many people as possible and have as many voices. Uh, you know, if, if we can introduce you to somebody you've never heard of before, that would be amazing. Like, that's kind of my goal, you know, to amplify everybody's voices. Yeah, I think that's basically, I think what you guys are doing is good, is good so keep at it. <laughs> thanks, Kayla. We are definitely going to keep at it. And um, thanks so much for joining us today. We really enjoyed your t our time talking with you. Thank you so much. Yeah, th thank you. Make sure you guys uh, support ASAN and AWN. But yeah, thank you guys for having me. I think this is a really wonderful podcast. And um, I think it's really important what you guys are doing. Thank you, everyone, so much for listening. If you're enjoying the stories we share with you and you'd like to share your important story, um, please email us at intersectionsonthespectrum at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. Talk with you next time on Intersections on the Spectrum, in which we will discuss the intersections of autistic and transgender identities. Talk to you then.